Hello and welcome to The Clubhouse, it's Golf Monthly's regular podcast and today is a special Top 100 Golf Courses podcast. My name's Mike Harris, I'm editor of Golf Monthly and today I'm joined by my two fellow senior panellists, Mr Jeremy Elwood. Hello there, good to be here. And Mr Rob Smith. Good afternoon. Good afternoon indeed. And we are here together, we've joined together today to talk about the Top 100 because we've just released our new list, we do it every couple of years. Uh, of the finest courses in the UK and Ireland. It's in the current issue of Golf Monthly, which, depending when you're listening to this podcast, is on sale now or is no longer on sale. Uh, But it's on sale till the end of December 2016. So if you get the opportunity, do go and pick up a copy. Um, Lots of interesting discussion points, as ever, in the top 100. Uh, And I guess I should really start off by saying thanks to our supporter for the Top 100, uh, Footjoy. They've been a long-term supporter of the Top 100 rankings and indeed a lot of our golf course coverage. So we're really grateful to them. They, they're they a brand who really wants to help golfers get out there, play golf, make some fantastic shoes and apparel that, in their own words, make every day playable. So thanks to Footjoy for, for their support. Do check out their latest range of shoes and apparel. There's some really interesting um, shoes certainly on the market the, the Pro SL being worn by a lot of guys on tour uh, I think will be a very popular shoe next year and certainly I'll be playing a lot of top 100 courses wearing uh, a pair of Pro SL anyway on to back to the top 100 um, so there's a new list we've got a new number one we'll come on to that um, shortly we've made some changes to the list again we'll discuss that in a bit but let's um, let's go back and talk about how we do it so Rob um, you oversee the rankings from a logistical point of view. You've played 900 courses worldwide. Tell us, how does it all come together? Well, the, the rankings, uh, Golf Monthly rankings, date back to 2004, at which point it has to be said it was a kind of finger-in-the-air exercise. A lot of people involved, no real science behind it, just real passion, of course. Um, and since then, we've evolved the process very greatly, in particular, the set of criteria that we use. Um, actually, these have not changed for the last two years, and, and the very good news about that is that, despite that, we have had absolutely positive feedback. The clubs themselves, the panellists, everyone agrees that the criteria that we use and, and how we, we rank the courses and how the different criteria are weighted against one another are fair and just. I mean, that doesn't mean everybody agrees with our 1 to 100, does Absolutely it? Absolutely not. It's, it's about process. our methodology, yeah. Absolutely. The one thing that has changed in the process this time, of course, is that we have now no longer including clubs that will not welcome green fee payers. I'll talk more of that later. More of that later. But in terms of the process itself, all of us on the staff and our team of loyal readers, we have 20-plus panellists, go around and visit all of the contender courses in the two-year cycle. Um, that's about 140 courses, the, which is, comprises the existing top 100, and the 40 that w- we feel stand the best chance of, of making inroads into the top 100. Uh, we gather all the feedback in, then the three of us sit down, wait, go through it all, weigh out any uh, anomalies, and we look at the scores, and in particular we look at the words that people use, mm. because people do value things in different ways. And we come up with what we believe is a fair and very democratic list of the courses ranked from 1 to 100, and then the next 100, which are not ranked because it becomes that much more difficult further down, and there are so many wonderful courses in the 101 to 350 range. I think it's probably just worth saying not everyone plays every course. Absolutely. It would be a logistical (laughs) impossibility to get... 30-odd people playing all 140 courses every period. I can't even work out how many rounds of golf that is. It's a lot, You wouldn't be doing much it? work. That's you wouldn't be doing Probably more than some of the clubs. Unless it's counted as work, <laughs> which 
No, indeed. We, we try and get two to three visits as a minimum for each of the contender courses. Sometimes it's substantially more than that. Others with a, a greater, uh, more crowded diary um, are happy with just two or three. But we do visit a lot, and so I think that what we end up with is a very fresh and uh, contemporary look at how those courses are all performing. Because I think that's a really important thing, that the, the condition or the, the experience you have as a visiting golfer um, can change, can't it, in a two-year period? Clubs can... Um, have done a lot of work to their course or equally have not had a period of investment so other courses will have improved relative to them club might have had a huge overhaul a refurb of locker rooms of bar areas really worked hard you might have had a new secretary or a new committee mm -hmm. in that's really focused on that visitor experience so we want to make sure that we're not just going on a visit that we made 10 years ago to produce the current set of rankings. That's right, Rob. I think it? that's what makes it fresh. Uh, it is valid because it is new and it's completely up to date. I think there may be other um, rankings that aren't lucky enough to get to visit the courses and see really how they are now. So I would argue very strongly that we are seeing courses and presenting a list that is live and active for our readers now. I think the other thing to mention is that you know it's not just going one way. Sometimes courses through underinvestment or through unfortunate quirks of the weather mm. have suffered during an assessing period and, well, and sometimes <clears throat> sometimes that has to be reflected in, in their new position. It has to be and a very good example of that Jez is that uh, for example Abu Dhabi dropped down and just three or four places this time they lost their, their real key feature hole the 12th which is no fault of their own and they've rebuilt it and it looks lovely I saw it a few months ago it wasn't then open for play but it is now so I'm sure they'll bounce back but you know we do try and make it reflect what is happening now. Yeah, yeah absolutely I think it's got to be you know a current list uh, and I'm sure it'll change when we produce our next 100 um, top 100 rankings which will be in two years time it's uh, people often ask can we do it every year um, the answer is no because logistically a lot goes into it I think we need to make sure that say all of those contender courses are visited we can't overburden clubs with requests for uh, for assessment rounds but I think one of the big things about our new list is we have a new number one um, it's a course that was number one a few years ago, mm. then dropped down a few places, but it's back at number one. It is <laughs> Trump Turnbury. Is that the correct? Uh, Trump Turnbury yeah. Resort Ailes, of course, I believe. And um, quite a mouthful there. And, yeah. and I think whatever you think of uh, Donald Trump, um, he certainly invests a lot of money uh, in any golf course that he puts his name to and have really made some very ambitious changes to the Elsa course. Now, Jez, you went up there, you were one of the first people to play the new yeah. course, and, and I think your feedback, along with uh, some other uh, assessors that have been up there, has really been instrumental in it becoming our number one course. Tell us a little bit about what's been going on up at Turnbury. Yeah, well, uh, it's a classic example that, you know, if you'd only played Turnbury four years ago and you were rating it based on that, you now wouldn't be assessing the course that is actually there because so much has changed. Every hole has changed, um, whether it's just a slight modification or a complete revamp. And of course, there are some. I say, of course, I know because I've been there. There are some, some stunning new holes, particularly around the turn, but also elsewhere. Um, I think one of the things that really uh, kicks it off now is a great opening hole, which I think most would agree it probably didn't really have before. Uh, and part of that is the new style of bunkering that they've gone with on on some of the fairway bunkering, which is this rough-edged bunkering, which gives it a really attractive look but the hole is stronger and longer uh, and has more shape to it. But I think once you get to the fourth, that's when the, the big changes really start. What was already uh, a strong par three, in my view, is now a fantastic par three, a bit longer, with this big, sandy, 
waste bunker extending up the side of the hole and then you, you play a few more holes where a, a change has happened particularly the sixth which was a a really long par three which has now been shortened so that they can make some changes to the 18th hole as well and then you come to the turn and uh, the ninth hole is now you know it's going to become one of the most photographed and talked about par threes in in major golf um, I think 248 yards off the backs the day I played it uh, you'd have struggled to get well I'd have struggled to get there with anything okay, um, I'd have been <coughs> I'd have been lasering my second shot I think it would well, be. there is a possibly somewhere where you can lay up a little bit up to the right but uh, it's it's a great hole and the 10th now um, makes a little bit more use of the shoreline as does the 11th uh, and then the final uh, major I mean there's lots of major changes it's hard to go into it all here but the 18th now plays straight back up to the hotel from a high point on the dunes um, so you get that majestic backdrop of the, the, the white hotel with the red roof all the way down the hole rather than just when you make the dog leg and make the final turn. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I certainly, I was always a fan of the, the old timber, as it, as it were, but I do think that uh, slightly weaker um, opening and, and particularly closing hole, I didn't wasn't a big fan of 18. It, you know, if those have been, if those issues have been addressed and if they're then made that spectacular coastal stretch even more spectacular then I can't wait to go and um, play it definitely on the on the must playlist for next year I think one of the things though Jez about Turnbury is it, it's an expensive green yeah. fee and I think it's a comment we always get whenever we release the top 100 um, list you know and we've got some letters in later that we'll um, that we'll read it is it's expensive but how how do you sort of go about justifying that really to I guess to yourself or to your other half well I mean you know we obviously get a lot of uh, communication correspondence about this very issue uh, and we make no um, we don't try to deny the fact that this is a celebration of the very best courses and as with most things in life the very best tend to cost a bit more mm -hmm. I mean the new full green fit Turnbury is £350 is it not Ooh. but I think as uh, as Rob showed in his piece on value through various playing it at certain times of year and you know if you went for a stay and play break in the hotel the green fee can come down to 100 pounds i believe so yeah. which is yeah. still you know still a lot of money but yeah. uh, you know it, not everyone will be paying 350 pounds to, to play there and i think the important thing about all links courses in particular and also a lot of the heathland courses that these are courses are playable year round and actually there's often an incentive or a lower rate to play in the shoulder season I think you know that sort of particularly you know October into even into November and then um, March April time you actually get some fantastic conditions um, on links courses and the freer draining inland courses but you might be paying significantly less than the you know than the summer 18 hole green fee so um, yeah there's definitely value to be had as, as Jez alluded to Rob's written a great feature really there looking at how you can find value um, in the top 100 and there you know there are some courses that already their 18 hole green fee for you know for a regular weekday in the summer is is very affordable Silithon Solway mm. springs to mind some of the courses as well up in Scotland also down in the southwest of England Wales always offers good value for money as well so but you know as Jess said you know the best does cost but we think it's uh you know, these are not courses you're going to play every week um, unless you've got very deep pockets but we think to save up to play one or two a year um, find one that you're really keen to play save away a little bit of money each week and it, and it suddenly becomes less daunting the green fee um, 
but I think one of the points that we really want to talk about with the top 100 is is the decision that we made to not include or no longer include courses where an unaccompanied golfer couldn't pay a green fee so in other words it was courses that were only open to members and their guests and there are there were six courses six on, in the top 100 yeah. yeah six in the top 100 with centurion club uh very much likely to make a um a debut in this list had we not changed our criteria it's something we've had feedback about from from readers and online through social media a lot every time we publish a list people say why are you including courses that can't go and play and i think we had up until recently thought well do you know what it's only a couple of courses you know it was um loch lomond um the Wisley, um, but actually with changes in policy at places like Bearwood Lakes, um, particularly at Wentworth for the East and the West course, also at Renaissance Club, that that was, you know, getting on for 10% of the list was not going to be accessible. And um, again, we'll talk a little bit about it later, responding to one of the, the, the reader letters that's come in. But we wanted to make this list uh, 100, you know, the 100 best courses that you can play. Uh, maybe we need to spell that out, you know, next time more um, more overtly on the cover. But it was again res- responding to feedback from our readers, from our um, social media following, from our Golf Monthly forum that they wanted didn't really want to be sort of told about courses in a, in a list format that they couldn't go and play. So so that um, decision has opened up some some spots for for probably more new entries than we would have had. Um, Rob, do you want to tell us about some of the new entries that have that have come in this time? Yeah, well, well, as Mike said, we 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 effectively have lost six of the the top one hundred due to their their policy on on green fees, uh, and a further three courses from the next one hundred, um, and that gave us the, the the scope to bring in quite a few new entries. So six got promoted from the next one hundred into the top one hundred. Uh, they all came in, in in the nineties, which is fine because you know they need to feel their way. We need to get more views on them and so on. Uh, the highest of the new entries was Ferndown, and that was sort of accompanied by Broadstone. So there's a strong sort of Dorset move in mm. there of clubs that have really worked hard on their courses, uh, and not they, you know they they are traditional courses, and they they're restoring to the way the designers would have liked, which is lovely to see. Uh, in in between those is one that I've been banging the drum for for a little while, which is Enniscrone, which has some absolutely spectacular holes up in the dunes. The majority of the holes are are, are amazing. It's a it's a wonderful place, and and more recently, one or two of the the, the newer panelists have have been supporting that view as well so it finally made a had a chance to make its move in um the links in the sky in south wales Penart has made its way in i think it has been on the fringes and it may have even been in a previous list or when we had the top 100 uh top 120 originally um it's a beautiful place to play golf it has an old castle on the course spectacular views and that's that's totally justified there's one that's a little bit uh, the Tandridge, which is where I'm a member now. Of course, quite rightly, my views were completely poo-pooed by the two of you, um, <laughs> which they should not be. Just on Tandridge, exactly <laughs> on, on almost everything. Absolutely, um, it made it harder to get in because yeah. um, you had to be convinced, yeah. even more so, that it was the right thing to do because it would always be possible that people might say, "Well, his involvement has some." And of course, it doesn't. So, uh, but I Rob, think tell me, the, I mean, yeah. the, the Tandridge have spent. A huge amount of well, money. It, I would say it's getting on for half a million pounds they spent on yeah. doing up the course over a period of five years. Um, 
restoring it to the, the Harry Colt principles and, and sort of making it a modern day version of what a Harry Colt course I think would be like using Frank Pont who's one of the, the is really the specialist in, in Colt restorations and it, and it does look a picture now and it's happily in, in the last year or 18 months got into the condition it would need to mm. be in to be in the tournament which makes a big difference too the greens are probably as good as you'll get in, in the area um, I've, I've played 80 something courses this year and I'm slightly biased but I don't know if I've played on better greens no well I'm going to say I mean I was lucky yeah. enough to play around there uh, in the summer and I thought that the, the you know from tea to green course was in superb condition that bunkering is really stunning it makes every hole really adds a lot of definition there and also for me you know because we do include that off course experience I think that Tanger is a lovely traditional club got a great feel to it fantastic carvery lunch uh, and then a lovely patio as well that you can sit outside and enjoy a, a refreshing beverage of your choice um, after after the round and um, and refreshing they are indeed indeed yeah. and, and we had one final new entry in the top 100 in at 100 again that's been on the fringes in the past I'm quite sure and it's one of those that may have been slightly overlooked you know very often that people say that the new at St Andrews is kind of over overshadowed by the by the old or um, the east at Wentworth is overshadowed by the west well uh, Merca perhaps has always lived in the shadow of Royal Aberdeen but you know it's it's raised its game a bit and it, it really is deserving of its place finally mm. to make it into the top 100 it has completely shot me in the foot because it means I've no longer played the entire one top 100 and I will be aiming to head up there early in the new year to tick it off my list is that the only one you're missing now? it's the only one I'm now missing so, yes. so Rob you played 99 Jez you played all 100 I Let's just check the yes, I have. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid I'm lagging down in the uh, in the mid 70s. It didn't really didn't help my case losing um, those six um, exclusive courses, which I've been fortunate enough to play over the years. So I really need to get out there. I certainly am missing all those Aberdeen courses. So um, the, the Trump course up there, Royal trip. Aberdeen, Cruden Bay, Merca, um, also some of the great links in in Ireland as well. I need to need to get over there so um, yeah I'll be planning a couple of trips next year and of course along with those new entries we've also seen you know uh, courses that sort of fall and also rise Jez tell us about some of the courses that have done particularly well in the in the new set of rankings that have moved up uh, in the last two years yeah well um, it's interesting you mentioned Cruden Bay there up in the Aberdeen uh, Aberdeenshire coast and that is actually our biggest climber this this time um, and our biggest climb has gone up 13 places, so from number 89 to 76, uh, which I, I think kind of tells you that we've, we've got the list generally more or less where it yeah. should be, if the highest climber is. And that is a course that, like some of the um, like some of the Heathland courses, has um, invested in improvements, and they've had Mackenzie and Ebert in there, yeah. uh, improving some holes, improving some of the views as well. Um, and I've not played it uh, for some time so I, I really need to get back up there to, mm. to check those out one I did play and has deservedly climbed nine places uh, was this year's open venue Royal Troon which I'd played previously and I have to confess I don't think I would be alone in saying I was a little underwhelmed mm. by it relative to its reputation but yeah. I saw it in a completely different light this time and I think the improvements that uh, again um, Martin Ebert had done there prior to the open have really improved that considerably um, and it was it left me kind of scratching my head as to what I might have missed previously. Um, we then have another five courses up between seven and nine places, and that includes uh, courses like Parkstone, which came in for the first time last time, but has not you know seen that as oh we're there let's let's just stop. 
they've carried on working and they've done more improvements um, this year to, to, to several other areas of the course. Um, and uh, Sherwood Forest, I mean, you have to say some of these promotions here have benefited from the decision to remove the exclusive clubs. So, mm-hmm. you know, whereas Sherwood might have gone up three or four places, that's suddenly become an eight place leap, uh, similar to, to Hankley Common, which is, I know, a favourite of all three of us. Absolutely. And, uh, lovely. Maybe when we first started doing these rankings, it wasn't, it didn't have the wider reputation, but yeah. I think. We've just seen. There's that, been that. a lot of you know, a lot of interesting course changes there. Yeah. They sort of lengthened some holes. Yeah. Um, they've done a lot of um, returning. The, you know, a lot of heathland management, a lot of heather management, uh, and it really is, um, I think, a fantastic place to play golf. And unusually for being in the southeast of England, it's a very tranquil, peaceful setting. You've got an immense expanse of, of heathland there. Yeah. Um, you don't. You know, I can't remember ever it being overflown that you'd notice by planes. You've not got any trains. I'd actually quite like trains mm. by golf courses, unless you're trying to film a uh, video. A, a video <laughs> review, yeah. and then it gets quite annoying. Um, and it's not, you know, it doesn't have any sort of noisy roads near it, which, of right. course, being in the southeast of England, whether it's, you know, poor old Walton Heath have the M25 thundering past in that corner. Um, you know, courses like West Hill. Woking, well, well, Walpolston, they they're all you know whether it's road noise or uh, or, or trains, but Hankley is a, is a glorious, peaceful place to play golf. And if you haven't if you haven't played there, I'd recommend um, putting it on your um, putting it on your bucket list. Absolutely, I think that space thing is a very important issue. The fact that you are you really feel for an inland course, you mm. are absolutely in the middle of nowhere. It's just amazing, and you're not that far away from civilization at all. But you you really feel like you are. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, so, yep, had some new entries, some climbers as well. Um, a few of a few courses have gone down, and Robert that doesn't necessarily mean they've fallen into disrepair. It sort of just means that that relative to um, the courses that have you know gone up, they're perhaps not making as big a strides as um, you know as their sort of neighbours in terms of the ranking. So, you know, you hope that will provide a bit of impetus for for clubs to look at you know their offering you know are they investing as much as they as they can into um you know into the golf course which of course their prime asset do they need to look at perhaps upgrading the the you know the locker rooms or the you know does the clubhouse need a bit of a bit of a refurb and you know you hope that the that the comments and the feedback uh, and the rankings um you know really serve to inspire change it's interesting i had a had an email from the secretary of sunningdale who had just seen the rankings was obviously delighted to see both of uh, both the new and the old um you know sort of featuring very prominently but he was saying that the committee had listened to feedback from uh golf course assessors about the new course and that whilst the first hole is very difficult on the new it's a sort of 400 and whatever yeah, 50 sort of yeah, yard I've never made part of that yeah. sure. um, it's not the vis- not visually no. the most attractive so the committee have listened to that feedback and they're actually going to bring um, bring in an architect to, to oversee some changes so that's really great to hear. and it's not just the golf monthly rankings that have sort of identified that'll be you know whether it's golf digest or golf magazine in the states um, so we hope that the rankings always, you know, are a source of pride for any club that's made it into the top 100. You know, there's over two and a half thousand courses in GB&I. Uh, to make it into the top 100 is a fantastic achievement. And, 
think we're so lucky with the quality of courses we have in this country and in Ireland um, that we should celebrate that and sort of um, you know get out and try and you know try and play some new courses. I think that's that's a good point. And and just briefly going back to uh, your mention of courses that have gone down in the rankings, it's very often uh, almost entirely actually, but not because they have declined. It's it's it's, it's because they have stayed where they were before. And it's very difficult. A lot of them are uh, traditional members' clubs. To get change through a committee, as, as I can tell you, is really very difficult. So I'm sure that uh, to, to get anything substantial done at, at some of these clubs is very difficult. So people are very happy to rest on their laurels. And I think that more and more clubs are realising that they can't do that anymore. It's a very competitive world, and they need to delight their members and their members of the future, i.e. their visitors. So I think there is more and more uh, move, more and more moves afoot at the moment to improve courses, and it's just very encouraging and great for us golf fans to see. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And as I say, the, the top 100, whenever we publish the list, it always um, prompts a lot of debate, prompts um, readers to to write in with their with their views. And I've got a few letters um, here that be interesting. To we'll probably reply to some of these in subsequent issues of the magazine, but um, I think these would probably be, you know, some sort of typical feedback we get. So. Um, Colin Lowe, uh, a reader uh, from Worcestershire, Colin writes and say, I've been a subscriber to Golf Monthly for many years and have never felt moved to comment on the pages until now. This month, 36 of Golf Monthly's pages have been dedicated to a league table of courses, which for most of your readers might as well just be located on the moon, so ridiculous are the green fees. Um, it is by design that these top 100 have become mainly the playgrounds of the rich, and in some cases owned by those who do not want the ordinary golfer treading on their precious turf. Um, he goes on to say, what is of more interest surely to the overwhelming majority of readers and for the benefit of the future game are golf clubs and courses where staff and members put sweat and tears into presenting the finest courses they can afford and offer them at a price designed to make this game affordable and attractive to a new generation, most with limited budgets. A far more worthwhile project would be to seek out many of the gems throughout the country, courses that can be are affordable and where a warm welcome is guaranteed and a great game of golf can be expected and I think that would be you know that's not sort of untypical of the no. feedback that we get that you know we talked a little bit about it earlier cost of the top 100 courses Jez you, you oversee uh, all our golf course uh, coverage at Golf Monthly what sort of yeah. um, what are your sort of views on that how would you respond to Colin well I think you know we, it's not the first time we've had a letter mm. of that uh, that ilk and um, I think the top 100 brings brings it sharply into focus because all the courses that are in the Premier League and therefore more expensive are shown in one feature. But I think what what um, people often forget is that the regular courses pages of the magazine, which feature, let's say, somewhere between 10 and 12 courses every month, the vast majority of those courses featured would be the kind of courses that... Uh, sorry, what was the reader's name there? Colin. Colin, Colin, Colin from Malvern um, was talking about... Um, so I think because this is a very prominent thing, you know, it's on the cover, it's a real big feature, we make no excuse for it that this is a celebration of the very best. But that doesn't mean for the other 23 issues between now, or it's 25, 25, right? issues, 25 yeah. issues now, between, we won't be featuring very, very many of the type of courses that Colin talks about. For, for me personally this year, I've played everywhere from 
uh, £9 in an honesty box at Wooler in Northumberland to some of these premier places. So the idea that we are, are only interested in the very top courses uh, just, just isn't isn't the case. And we've included a, a feature in, in this issue where we look at uh, affordable golf within the top 100 uh, and I've found, if you had to do a bit of delving obviously, but I've found that roughly a third of the courses that are in the top 100 you can pay for under £50 if you go at the right time. Now Lynx courses are arguably as good mm. in the winter as they are in the summer so that's to be recommended um, and there are some very good um, rates to be had at off-peak times yep. throughout the country. Mm. Nice, definitely. So um, hope that in, um, answers your question or at least sort of gives our thinking on it you know I think there's no right and wrong particularly when it comes to golf course rankings or any um, coverage about golf courses as a fellow golf writer always once said to me there's no such thing as a bad golf course some are just better than others and um, what one golfer loves another golfer may dislike so I think we're just trying to celebrate those wonderful courses that we have in GB&I that you can go and play and you know as Jez has said earlier um, playing the best or the best of whatever it might be wine or cars or restaurants hotels that you know they cost more than um, you know the sort of rank and file and we think that it's worth celebrating them we hope it inspires people to go and you know have a round at a treat top one. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, well, it's a treat. It's and not... also to inspire the other courses. Because, yeah. yes, of course, some are ha- hampered, understandably, by budget and by physical mm. location and, and um, uh, what, they, the, what they have. Mm. But if they can then look at the list and then aspire to some of the pleasures that people get there, then it just, just points them in the right direction. And, and, you know, we all want to see... Um, Jez comes up with this idea quite often that... We all, uh, even if I drive a Ford Focus, I may actually look at a lovely sports car and want to drive it, and that's mm-hmm. the case here. And occasionally, you know, I may get a chance to drive one for a weekend or borrow one of a friend. So that sort of thing can happen. And I think aspirational golf is a very important thing. Yeah, mm. most definitely. Most definitely. So, um, got a letter here from um, John Marks. John says, I'm not sure how much credence can be given to a panel of assessors for your published top 100 courses in the UK and Ireland, which is headed up by a 15 handicapper, Rob Smith, and also includes a 22 handicap member, along with many mid-handicap players. How can they realistically comment on the quality of test and design when they clearly must play a completely different game to the more skilled and accomplished golfers for whom golf courses are designed to challenge? let alone the prose view by which most courses are designed or modified to suit. The long-standing top 100 list created many years ago by just such players and experts in course design, which you have clearly taken and tried to fiddle with some high handicap input. Uh, So why don't you qualify your list with a proviso to the effect that, as determined by a cross-section of higher handicap (laughs) club golfers, well, you've been called out, uh, Rob, to, uh, <laughs> by him, Mr. Yeah. Mark. So, yeah. h- how you how will respond to respond to that? Well, I could agree with everything he says, or <laughs> I could probably disagree with everything he says. Uh, f- firstly, I would say that um, golf courses have never been designed primarily for the low handicap golfer. Any hard, uh, golf course architect with assault has designed with an array of golfers in in mind, and I think that uh, any golf club in the UK or Ireland. Um, will be setting up its course to suit its members, the vast majority of whom will be teen handicappers, uh, I would say. Um, I've also played a great many golf courses, so I think I have experience. And yes, I may not be um, a a single-figure handicap, but I was once. 
Um, and I'm a bit older now, so and less wise, obviously. Um, so now <laughs> I uh, can't play as well as I used to, but it hasn't in any way diminished my love for the game or, I think, my understanding of golf courses. In fact, I would argue the opposite. I would say my understanding of golf courses has improved over the years through experience. I can look at a golf course, I can imagine how I might be able to play it, but I can also look at it and imagine how a pro might be able to play at it. So I think that the ability of a panellist is a slightly dodgy thing to, to, to criticise. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, I can chime in there. When we recruit panellists, I'm right in saying, Rob, that, um, you know, we do look at their playing ability, but of much more importance is how many courses in our current top 100 have they played? What's their golfing CV like? What's their, you know, we ask them to provide a sample review. We're not, you know, our, our list of panellists is not a list of the best golfers who play different courses. It's a list of, or it's people who are qualified to be able to go and assess a golf course from a club golfer's perspective. And unashamedly, our rankings are produced by ordinary golfers for ordinary golfers. For the type of club golfer, or whether a nomadic golfer is not a member of a club, who wants to go and invest their hard-earned money playing a top course. So, um, to, to, to my mind, I'm actually not interested in producing a list for elite golfers or pros who actually never have to go and uh, play a course you know never have to pay to play a course or only ever play courses in immaculate tournament condition this is this is a real list by real golfers for real golfers and I think within the you know within our panel there are actually I think I counted it up I think almost half of them are actually single figure golfers on there we've got some guys uh, as low as one handicap a lot of category one golfers in there particularly um, from the golf monthly team so we're able to look at courses from different playing abilities and you know, as Rob said the majority, go, go and look at the handicap um, board at any club and I would think that the average is going to be around the team certainly whenever we survey our readership I think the, the average handicap comes out at about 14 Point one, so one shot better than you, Rob. But um, you know, and, and Half we, a shot, yeah. Fourteen point six. Well, thank you. You know, we we produce a list for our readers. It's not to um, to stroke the egos of tour pros or elite golfers. This is very much a real golfers list. But I, I think I, it's I think it's slightly blinkered perspective to say only a single figure handicapper. Mm. Because you know, you might be a five handicapper that doesn't hit it very far and is always having to get up and down on par fours. You could argue. The, the higher handicapper who bombs it a mile is actually playing something closer to how the course was yeah. designed than you because they're hidden into positions where they could attack the green whereas you might not be so I'm afraid I, I don't buy that perspective at all personally. I, and one other PS on that is that I think that and I've played I've been lucky enough to play with a number of very good golfers you know, European Tour pros top amateurs I think the very very good golfers um, look at courses with a, a different set of a pair of glasses on because they actually look from a purely strategic point of view they sometimes don't see the joy that we see in what surrounds it or that little hollow there or that you know the way that ponds it so I, I think they do look at it in a, a quite different way well there you go I, I hope um, John that you know um, underlines our sort of thinking on that I appreciate not everybody um, you know it's comes uh, comes at it from the you know f from the same perspective but uh, at the end of the day, as you know, as the guys who oversee the rankings, I think we want to produce a list, as I say, that you know, by ordinary golfers for ordinary golfers. So that will be what what sort of guides are thinking on there. Um, and the last um, 
letter from a gentleman called Alex Iverson. Uh, Alex writes to say, uh, having read the latest top 100 UK and Ireland golf courses, I have several gripes which I'm compiled to write to you about. Why no supplement? Its inclusion in the magazine took up too much content. Why the removal of exclusive clubs? It's ridiculous. Um, take Augusta out of the world list. He's sort of, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, and lastly, having played over 35 of this list and 20 of the second 100, I feel the list is totally flawed. The Belfry, the Grove, Close House and Tandridge. Uh, and I think when he's talking about Tandridge, he said, if you said top 10 carvery lunches, I'd tend to agree. Are all examples of courses that are being ranked too highly, whilst Hindhead, one of the most stunning courses in Surrey, Remedy Oak surely should have gone in the expense of one of the other three woven courses and Royal Wimbledon, brackets a great course, should all feature. It lends me to form opinion that either reviewers haven't the requisite skills or haven't played these courses recently or the same old courses feature based on historic, uh, oh sorry, uh, and that's the way it's always been mentality. I doubt you'll print this in the letters section. Actually, we will, and we're talking about the podcast. But from now on, I can only conclude that the website top100golfcourses.co.uk is the only reliable kite mark measure as it uses both visitor reviews alongside expert opinion. Um, wow, <laughs> where do we start there? I'd say, I mean, it, you know, I think it's great that um, our top 100 list generates. Um, such passionate debate um, and everybody is entitled to their opinion I think we've covered a number of um, topics most pertinently that actually all of the contender courses and uh, and the three that you mentioned there which you feel which Alex feels should be in their hindhead uh, Remedy Oak um, and Royal Wimbledon have all been played um, I've played certainly hindhead and Royal Wimbledon in the past um, two years and yeah they, you know they're lovely courses however for me, they don't quite make it in. I've not played Remedy Oak for a while, um, but certainly, in, in my opinion, not better than any of the three Woburn courses, which I think, uh, you know, there's so much money being invested into the, the courses and the visitor experience at Woburn. Those three courses thoroughly justify their um, their existence in the list. So um, it's not a, this is, you know, historic you know, it's very much a contemporary list. We've sort of we've talked about it before. Top one hundred golf courses. Dot co. Uk. Absolutely, you know, we're fans of that list. I think a lot of hard work goes into that. Rob, you know the, you know, you often be on on media trips with those guys. Yep. They, you know, they know their onions. They and, do. Um, interesting. We had a letter from one of them to say that you know, just congratulate us on the list. And I think you know, there's we all love golf courses anybody puts a list together so i think we all respect what the other's doing um and absolutely i you know wouldn't say just use the golf monthly list for for planning trips look at top 100 courses it's uh you know very interesting um uh, very interesting list when he looks at when alex talks about um why the removal of exclusive clubs well we have talked about it mm. in in the podcast earlier and i think the trying to make the comparison with america and augusta well if you look at America and you look at their top 100 courses, I haven't done a, a, a tot-up, but I would think two-thirds at least are private members clubs. Uh, and America, of course, that structure is very different. Private members clubs, where it is members and their guests only, tends to prevail, particularly among the more famous, uh, more highly regarded courses. So, of course, if you left out 75% of them, it would be a bit of a crazy list. However, obviously acknowledging the fact that you can't play a lot of what is the America's top 100. Both Golf Magazine and Golf Digest, I think I'm right in saying, produce 
list of the top 100 you can play mm. um, but as I say we felt we were reacting to reader feedback um, and that was you know over a period of a number of years that um, you know our readers didn't want to you know uh, read about in a top 100 context anyway courses that that they couldn't play so it's a decision we've made I've got to say you know the highest ranked course uh, that is now being now not in the list is Loch Lomond I mean that was I think I'm right in saying the last time he ranked it around about 30 so 30 you know yeah. yeah none of the top 30 have um, have changed because of this um, so uh, you know I think that we're trying to promote courses that that you can play obviously you've listed you know Alex has listed a number of courses that he's not a not a fan of or doesn't think should be in the top 100 and of course that's what opinions and top 100s are all about they're about you know um, I prefer this course over that course or you know they are, I think so. there's yeah. a very valid, I made a point earlier uh, in replying to one of the readers about that uh, if you take any three courses a courses a B and C there will be people who prefer a over B B over C and C over a and if you compare any two courses, there'll always be a, a band of people on either side. Mm. When you're trying to put together a full list of 100 courses and get it balanced, you have to look in, in it beyond that. Uh, it's a very complex process to do, but you need a balanced list, and I think this list is as balanced as, as we can do. I'm going to have to go and check out, because I don't know. I have to say where, um, see where top 100 courses have got Hindhead and mm. Remedy Oak and Royal Wimbledon, because I'm not... Hundred percent sure they're in their top one hundred, but yeah. I mean, I they're have to all go away and check. They're all very good golf courses. Strong, they're, all, they're all in our next one hundred. Strong contender courses for yeah. sure. Yeah. And actually, I've just found one final letter. I'm not making it up because this is a this is a positive one. <laughs> it's from Matthew Emerson who who emailed us a couple of days ago. Having just looked through your super top one hundred list of golf courses, I can't disagree with the rankings. However, would it be possible to list the points scored for each of the different criteria that the courses were judged on? If I'm looking to play a course on an away day, the visual appeal is what I would look out for. A breakdown of the points would definitely assist in this area. In very interesting point for Matthew, and obviously, um, you know, as Rob explained earlier, we have um, different criteria that we ascribe. Rob, can you talk us through the criteria and also how many marks uh, or maximum of marks that the assessors can put in, and then um, tell us why we don't why we don't print those sort of breakdowns well the, the design and the test of golf itself is our number one set of criteria if you like and it's split down to a subset and that's worth about 35% of the marks uh, then conditioning and presentation that's the next one that takes up the biggest chunk and it works its way all the way down to the ambience of the place and the welcome you get mm. so it's the overall experience and we've developed over the uh, years to be that and visual appeal is and visual appeal is uh, in there it's yeah. most definitely in visual there visual appeal 15% 15% yeah. yes uh, and what, but what we don't do is publish the scores for the simple reason that uh, all of our assessors, despite the guidelines, will have their own views. So I might say that the visual appeal at Old Head is is ten out of ten, and so, uh, or fifteen out of fifteen, or, or fifteen out of ten. And somebody else <laughs> might say it's brilliant; it's eight out of ten because they never give yeah. tens. So we have an equalisation process. We have uh, we have uh, panelists who are um, uh, pessimists, and we have uh, panelists who are optimists. So we have an equalisation process so that we look at the score and we then look very carefully at the words that support them to work out what the scores would be if it was the same person yeah. doing that, which we just can't you know, get the same people around. And, and then obviously we apply our own yeah. marks you know, from the three of us and the senior panel. So um, it's interesting, some, some lists do put um, that breakdown of scores in there or, or they put a total score out of 100 in there. Um, I don't know, I'm not you know, a skilled enough excuse me mathematician to be able to to do that i think as rob said that the 
we actually find the words that the you know in the assessors reports to probably be of more use I think that um, you know you look at the mark but then of more importance is actually um, what the what the feedback is about a specific course versus the versus the criteria yeah, but definitely. Um, certainly uh, you know we d we produced obviously uh, Matthew you'd have seen it in the magazine uh, a feature about what we believe to be uh, some of the most scenic courses there are and we again we are so lucky whether it's dramatic links courses or beautiful inland courses we are we're so lucky in GB and I know I keep sort of seems like a bit of a stuck record but um, anybody who's played golf overseas you only have to go and play golf overseas to realize how good the golf is uh, in GB and I and you know you can play all of those courses in our top 100 yeah. um, so there you have it that's um, our final top 100 podcast um, of uh, for this sort of two-year period I'm sure we will uh, bring back more top 100 podcasts in the future um, hope you've enjoyed it hope you enjoyed the other podcasts we've done go back and have a look on our SoundCloud or, uh, or iTunes accounts if you want to hear some of the other podcasts about top 100 where we talked about different um, different aspect aspects of, of the top 100 so I guess all it really remains for me to say is um, if you haven't already got a copy of our top 100 rankings issue go out and buy it um, or look at our website we've just released the rankings on our website and of course a big thanks again to our uh, top 100 sponsor Footjoy uh, really appreciate the support they've given us the sponsorship allows us to produce a lot of great content whether that's magazine whether that's website things like the podcast as well so uh, big thanks to Footjoy from all of us so for me Mike Harris it's goodbye goodbye from Rob and finally goodbye from Jez <laughs>